0: This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. So I asked product designer Steven Song what's his biggest challenge with designing for Facebook, and here's what he said. I feel like the biggest challenge about working at Facebook is the amount of like
1: communication, the information going around, and kind of the need to know what everyone's doing at the same time it wasn't until i came to facebook when i realized like you know how fast everything moves kind of learning how to become a better communicator and learning you know what's the best way to you know
0: share what the teams are doing is has been one of the biggest challenges and i think one of the biggest
1: opportunities for growth
0: learn more at facebook.com forward slash design you're listening to the revision path podcast a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, you may have noticed that our episodes are now included on Glitch.com, we'll have a full announcement in the coming weeks with more information. Now let's talk about our sponsors, Google Design and MailChimp. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. Mailchimp is the world's lar- Mailchimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Now, Mailchimp may have started out doing just email, but now you can use it for Facebook ads, for Instagram ads, powerful automations, and a whole lot more. Think of it as more like a marketing powerhouse for your business. Sign up for a free account today and give it a try. Mailchimp, send better email. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to Annalise Cleopatra, an artist and art director in Portland, Oregon. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, I'm Annalise Cleopatra, and I'm an artist and art director in Portland, Oregon. So I'm curious to know what brought you to Portland. I thought I wanted to be a sneaker designer, and this is where Adidas was, so I came here.
0: Okay, you you specifically wanted to work for Adidas?
1: Yeah, I um when I moved out here Nike wasn't doing like they weren't doing the Balenciaga c- collaborations or anything really fashion related and I was really attracted to Adidas Originals because of their blend of sport and fashion.
0: Okay. How did you first get interested in footwear design?
1: My big brother had a lot of sneakers and um that's what he would get me for my birthday and I really wanted to, I just wanted to work for the shoe company so I could like just like really hook him up and provide and he would think I was cool and like just really have that connection with him. Okay. So talk about what it was
0: like, I guess, I guess the first question is where did you move from before you got to Portland?
1: I moved from Miami, Florida. All right. Oh, that's a big move. Yeah. It's the <laughs> it's the complete opposite basically. Let's go back a
0: little bit to Miami. I'm curious, what was it like there?
1: Warm. <laughs> warm, humid. Miami culturally is uh it's a very different place, you know. I'm very used to a lot more physical um affection. I greet when I'm home, I greet people with kisses and hugs mm-hmm. and, you know, as opposed to handshakes here yeah just a uh, vibrant okay
0: and so the move from miami to portland was uh to start design i guess i don't really know a ton about footwear design is is portland the mm-hmm. place where a lot of footwear designers try to go
1: yeah because since nike and adidas are both here there's a lot of sneaker designers here and you know sometimes they go back and forth but it just seemed like the the place that made the most sense to chase that opportunity.
0: Okay. I was in Portland for the first time earlier this year. Um, I was there in September for XOXO. And it was a really interesting <laughs> I don't want to say culture shock, because that sounds too drastic, but it definitely mm-hmm. was different from what I'm used to here in I'm in Atlanta. It's definitely oh, okay, different from yeah. that. How was it when you first got there? Like how was it adjusting to it?
1: it was really difficult. When I first moved, one of my close friends was interning here. So I had someone, but then they ended up going back to school and I had to kind of figure it out. And it's uh, it's a lot more difficult to build connections. Um, the way that I rationalize it is mm-hmm. that, you know, in Miami, people are not polite, but they're friendly. And I feel like here mm-hmm. people are polite, but they're not really friendly. So it just takes a lot longer to build those connections and the trust. And eventually I did. But while you're doing it, it's not that fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Even just, I mean, with the added kind of stress of moving to a new city, and now you're like, oh, I'm trying to meet people, but it feels like people aren't being hospitable. That can that can certainly kind of take its toll.
1: I just really had to learn. It felt like a new language, you know, uh, the way that that people connect and move out here. So Like when I first moved, I felt like people were cold, but it's really, they just connect in a different way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just had to learn that and reciprocate.
0: Has it gotten easier the longer you've been there?
1: It has. Um, Once I, about a year and a half in, I met a friend, a DJ, Shake That, and through him, I kind of found this like black art subculture that... I found my first home in and that, yeah, that really changed the experience. There's an organization here called Doug deep underground, and they had a lot of open mics for young artists. And through that, I was able to like build a lot of connections and collaborations and really meet the people who are doing the things in the city that I want to be a part of. Is there a strong creative culture there in Portland? There is. It's, there's a strong creative culture, but like the pace in Portland, it's far removed from what feels like, you know, other major cities. It's, it's a lot slower paced. And I feel like that kind of comes with the spirit of collaboration over competition is alive here. So it's different. like, I don't want, people are hungry, but it's just not, they're not, step in over each other to achieve what they need to achieve. So Mm -hmm. it's just people are willing to work for trade and collaborate in the spirit of community. And yeah, I think that that creates that effect.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that uh, that East Coast hustle isn't really there.
1: (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. And I miss it. You have to get out and come back to get the perspective because you can really normalize that if you're here too long, and you know some people, some people love that. Like if if you're about to settle down and have kids, like this is a great place to be. But if you're still trying to like really build, it's more difficult.
0: Hmm. I can see that. I certainly can understand that perspective. I know. I mean, I've been here in Atlanta for a while, and I know there was a a good period of time I wanted to move to New York. Because I felt like Atlanta was too slow. Well, Atlanta is still slow. Let me let me not tell that lie. But I felt like <laughs> back then, like this was maybe about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I was like, Atlanta's too slow. I'm not moving in my career. I'm going to go to New York where it's more fast-paced and everything. And I still go to New York from time to time. But I think that perspective has now allowed me to appreciate certain things about Atlanta that I know I wouldn't get in New right. York. So I, I see what you mean about that perspective. That can be That can be super important. So speaking of competition, I have to bring up where I first discovered you, where I first found out about you, I should say, which was on a reality show competition. There's a show on YouTube called Lace Up the Ultimate Sneaker Challenge. Uh, it was uh, in conjunction with Pencil Academy, which is a, a shoe design, a footwear design school there. And with yes. Complex. How did you find out about that show?
1: So Pencil is its own school. And prior to the show, like, you know, and following the show, they, they have classes. They're actually working with PNCA now, a Pacific Northwest college of art. So I had applied for a regular session that was not filmed and I didn't get in. And so I just, I like emailed and harassed them to get a critique on my (laughs) submission. Uh So I emailed them like twice, three times so that I could know what to do better for the next time I applied And I actually had a dream about like it was like a design jock dream. Like I dreamt that I was in the lab at my college and all the Cintiq computers were full. And someone was like, why don't you go use the Cintiq in the boys bathroom? And I was like, what? They have a secret Cintiq. And I went through (laughs) it and they had this whole like secret lab through their dorm. And I remember in the dream I was like salty, but I was like, all right, I can get my work done now. And I don't know, it just, the design jock culture was, I don't know, it just reminded me of pencil. And I was like, oh, I should see if they have another class. And it ended up being the reality show one. And I was like, all right, well, maybe this is supposed to be it.
0: Tell me what your experience was like there. I mean, looking back on it now, how was it?
1: It was fortifying. I think... You know, going into it, I had a different mindset. Like I took it really, really seriously. I really was looking forward to the guidance of Dwayne and Ms. Suzette. And looking back, I feel like if I had relaxed a little bit, and I would have had a an easier time. But you know, it was it was a really strengthening experience. I I gained so much confidence in speaking and presenting on stage like with lights and in front of whoever and it ended up to me really I really enjoyed being on set and I like would interrogate the production people on how they were doing things and you know ended up doing a lot more film stuff this past year because of that Oh nice How yeah. long
0: did the competition take like just I guess in terms from beginning to end
1: It was about 3 months so the first oh, wow. Yeah, because the first couple weeks, you they keep you in a hotel, and they make you do all these tests, and like you have to talk to a therapist, and and they like kind of trim trim down who they're selecting in that time. And you're in a hotel, and you can't talk to anybody. And then once we finally started the show, it was it was like a a marathon. Uh, we had maybe a couple days break of shooting in the eight weeks and yeah the lack of sleep was real but exhilarating
0: i can only imagine just what kind of a like a pressure cooker type of situation that is because not only are you learning as they're presenting you with these sort of more increasingly difficult challenges but mm-hmm. then it's being judged and it's being filmed and you're being critiqued and i mean I just kind of think about how with reality TV, everything is always scripted and edited to kind of meet a certain narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, since since you've left the show, I mean, well, since the show is over, I should say, have mm-hmm. you
1: watched the episodes? Have you looked back at them? Um, not since the first time I watched. Okay. But I did watch. And it was interesting because you never know what they're going to cut out. They had us sleeping in this hostile situation, and there were cameras when we woke up. So. There wasn't much of that, and and by hostile,
0: not not hostile like bad, but like H O S T E L.
1: Just making sure, just want to be yeah, yeah, Um, like a hotel, gotcha, like a dorm, basically. Yeah,
0: they didn't like have Um, you all like behind lock and key or something. Like I got,
1: I I mean, they kind of did, but it wasn't hostile. It was you you know, it was just work. Got it. (laughs) I don't know. It was just they they filmed so much of us. It was impossible to know like what they were going to keep and what to expect. So watching it was pretty fun because we're kind of mostly surprised too. Aside from what they cut out, what else surprised you about yourself? I don't know if it came across how stressed I was. (laughs) Hmm. So I was relieved about that. I guess what that surprised me that like, I kind of held it together for the camera when like internally I know I was like, I was stressed. I was pressed. I, I wanted to win. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of
0: the other contestants certainly, uh, expressed themselves, I guess you could say <laughs> mm-hmm. on camera. Like they didn't, I'm not saying that you were like holding back, but I know mm-hmm. just from watching it, uh, the good thing I liked about the competition was that nobody got eliminated. So you all kind of, for the most part, stayed together throughout the whole experience. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's certainly, I forget what her name is, but the woman from Colombia, I think mm-hmm. uh, was very, very outspoken. <laughs>
1: I think, yeah, I feel like that was so unfair to her. Um, yeah. Catalina is a wonderful person and a great designer and she works really hard and, you know, she was kind of put in an impossible situation. So I really feel for her because we were all stressed. We were all, we were all crying. We were, well, I guess not all of us, but I know at least all the girls cried at some point. And, you know, cause there were, we're not really allowed to talk to our families and like, you're trying to, you're trying to create within these rules that are kind of flexible. So it's just, we weren't ready for that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so we just had to kind of learn like the process and like working with the production team and, and our teammates to like be successful. But I love Catalina and it sucked to see, cause you know, what happens is they, they pick a character of you, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like they could have easily picked a character of me that is totally different from what was seen based on my worst moments. Yeah, And I'm fortunate that they didn't, but they could have.
0: So yeah. there was, I remember there was a guy at the beginning where, when I felt like they sort of, re- I wouldn't say they wrote him in a certain way, but certainly it felt like he was edited in a certain way. Uh, Desmond mm-hmm. was like written in a certain way that I don't know if it was totally fair to how he was there, but I wasn't there. So it's kind of, you know, from the, the viewer standpoint, it's a different perspective.
1: Yeah. I think that's something we all learned is, like, people are going to see these, like, caricatures of us. Mm. And, like, it's up to us to decide the narrative that we choose to take, you know? Yeah. I would imagine
0: it's probably even difficult to even kind of, or maybe not. I don't know. Because we know so much about reality TV. Maybe going into it, it's like, we know this can be cut up in all these different ways.
1: Yeah. And I think that really caused a lot of tension for, at least for me and probably some of us, because we didn't know, all we knew that it was the same production company as American, as America's Next Top Model. So we didn't Mm. know how like dramatized things were going to be. And I know that I was like particularly paranoid of that, especially because I like, I was still grieving and oh that's right that's right
0: i think that was mentioned at one point in the in one of the episodes
1: right because the show was filmed through april and it was my brother's birthday his first birthday after his death mm-hmm. so i was just emotionally like like gone <laughs> and like trying really hard to like focus on the project but like you know not really being able to yeah but yeah I don't know. I remember just feeling like I didn't know what emotions were safe to be open with because I didn't want it to be twisted into something. And, you know, the, the production people, like, <laughs> as we got through, we realized that they were not nefarious uh-huh. or like, you know, trying to set us up or anything. So it became easier after. But in the beginning, it was we just didn't know what to expect at all. And yeah. so,
0: wow. Do you still keep in touch with anyone from there?
1: Yeah, I see Catalina often. Lawrence, I I chat with her often. I haven't talked to Vince in a while, but he's out there. I know I can hit him up whenever. And then my two teammates, we chat on Instagram.
0: Nice. Well, it's good. It sounds like then you at least were able to kind of maintain some friendships, whether personal or professional. Still managed to kind of gain that much from the competition. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, we all went through an experience and, like, you know, grew together from it. I mean, I'm a competitive person. Like, when I moved out here, I joined a women's football team because, like, that was – I didn't know anyone. And so I was like, all right, let's do this. And it feels good to compete, but I needed to develop a healthier relationship with competition, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think also, you know, whenever competition is added into – a creative discipline like that it mm-hmm. just it's so hard because the creative process is not like it's not a muscle that you can really develop if that makes sense you you're you're struck by inspiration when it happens and you can have these periods where sometimes you don't feel creative mm-hmm. and can't you know like have output or whatever so i can only imagine just adding that that competitive element to it with teammates and everything just it's like it just exacerbates the whole situation
1: Right. But the great thing about Dwayne is that he like design kind of is a muscle, you know, and that's how he wants you to think about it. He sets you up so that you're not dependent on like whims of inspiration and really focuses on the process so that you can execute no matter what. Dwayne's foundation is functionality. So it's like, if you're a fashion designer, it's harder to work with him because it's not it's not about freedom of expression. It's like what problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. And so it allows you to ground your designs in like a factual place because at the end of the day, the point of the presentation is to make your case. And if your if your case is rooted in facts, it's it's more effective. And um, so that's a big part of like what he tries to teach and like just the the blending of, of design as a sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unsustainable for your soul long-term, but it's really effective in creating good work because mm-hmm. you have to have the ego to believe in your work and mm-hmm. to sell it and to stand by it. Like a lot of times, sometimes when he's giving critiques and he argues against something, he's not necessarily against it. He just wants you to be able to defend it. And if you can't defend it, then he's not gonna allow you to do it, so mm-hmm. it's a lot about like design thinking and and preparedness and execution. Gotcha, I got gotcha. you. It sounds like he was pretty good to work with, yeah, Dwayne's awesome. I was really excited to finally work with him. He scared me a little bit, <laughs> and those are my favorite teachers. I love to be scared whiplash is like one of my favorite movies he's not that intense but okay. I think <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know I kind of like it when the the designer mentor relationship has that not adversarial but like just the I know you can do better so don't come to me until you do better I kind of needed that because Portland is a very mild place and like people will support you to support you but I feel like I want to get better. So I want to be supported when I'm like effective and doing good and be told when I need to do better. And so yeah. Pencil was really great for that. How was it working with Suzette? Oh my gosh, Miss Suzette. She is amazing and even more terrifying than Dwayne. Like, <laughs> like she was m- so no nonsense on the show. I love that. Yeah, that accurate. Accurate. <laughs> Absolutely accurate. And it was so rewarding to receive her guidance. Like even her materials literally say, don't touch or I will rip your spine off. And oh, yeah, it says it in beautiful typography. (laughs) And I remember like towards the end of the show, there was a moment where I was like, all right, she might kill me, but it's the last episode. So, (laughs) you know, and she went off on me, but it was worth it. Yeah. How did the show change
0: your relationship to footwear design?
1: I think it it allowed me to have like that emotional connection. Like a lot of the the people we were designing for, what ended up winning out was, you know, the designs that had an emotional resonance with Mm -hmm. the, with the guest and in the corporate world, I don't really think that really exists like that. I think... It becomes a lot more mechanical, so i'm i know I feel like I retained like my i'm not i'm not I'm a sneakerhead, but I'm not like a like I'll never buy shoes that I'm not gonna wear, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I don't have the like fan relationship as much as I like like shoes for a certain reason. Like mm-hmm. it's like the gum bottoms and the cinnamon laces on my Reebok classics, or I have these Air Force Ones that are island pack and they have little like Jamaican stick figures on them. You know, like those are the types of details that that resonate with me when it comes to footwear. Mm-hmm. So we got I really enjoyed incorporating things that would never make it into production. Like for the Dame Lillard shoe, we we cut a crack in the left sneaker to represent when he broke his foot right before the draft mm-hmm. because he thought he thought it was all over, but it was just the beginning.
0: I'm curious about that. Cause I know sometimes when I think about reality competitions like that, creative competitions, oftentimes that can be like, almost like the turning point, I think for people's careers mm-hmm. because of how the situation is, it either mm-hmm. makes you want to do it more or you're like, that's it. I'm, right. I'm good. I'm out.
1: What has happened since the show? So since the show, like I said, I really liked being on set. And while I was in the show, I like interrogated the production people and like made some connections and still hold to that. So since then, I've done a lot more film stuff. I did a short film for the Northwest Filmmakers Film Festival last year called the 50 Foot Challenge. And it's like you shoot on a Super 8 and it's one like there's no there's all the edits are in camera. So you just have to shoot in order and they send it off to L.A. to get developed. And then they screen it and you can add music to it. So I made a I did a film called Shade. I sold my first painting earlier this year at a art show at Wyden and Kennedy. That's not film stuff, but that's just something that's happened since the show that I'm proud of. Okay. $850 for the Culture Series, which is a series of like artists of color that um my friend Jared and O'Connor, who you should definitely have on the show, was doing when he worked at Widen and Kennedy. He's in LA now.
0: Okay.
1: And then a lot, just a lot, like video edits. I did an I did an edit for Complex Con when we went last year. I did a video in Little Havana, Miami, when I went home, uh, like a little video love letter. And then for most of this year, I've been working as the art director for Lost in Portland. They've been doing a late night Portland show called live in portland and we have guests and comics and artists and we just stream it live on facebook and youtube with iphones and we have like a five camera setup Mm -hmm. and we have a residency at secret society once a month uh so we just had our last or our last show there on monday and that's been a really, really awesome experience that allows me to like use the breadth of my talents and I definitely because of the show, I'm on this show, you know my the watching the production work and how they lead has like equipped me to like direct this show and be a part of it.
0: nice, yeah, it sounds like it exposed you to some other areas that you can kind of use your creativity in,
1: yeah it's so fulfilling. So what is a typical day like for you now? What do you do? Um, I mean, it's different every day. I just I just got home from a shoot. I was I did some makeup for a shoot that we did on Highway 30 here in Portland. I do a lot of art. I'm preparing for a residency in, in March. Um, I was awarded a Caldera residency. So I'm preparing for that. I'm going to be painting and writing. I took a write your own web series class in Mm. April. So I have like a pilot, but I have to finish out the episodes so that I can assemble a crew in when I go home in Miami. So I'm usually just working on those projects.
0: Nice. Congratulations on the residency. Thank you. Thank you. With everything that you're working on right now, is there anything that scares you creatively?
1: Yeah, I think I've been scared for a bit. I haven't been successful in corporate design world in Portland anyway. In Miami I've had more success and it kind of I don't know, it makes you or at least it makes me like discouraged, but I'm kind of coming out of that and creating the path that I want to do for myself and I feel I, uh, I'm scared, but I'm so excited. It's like, it's a great fear because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what's coming next, but I feel so equipped with the work that I've done and the confidence that I've built that this next year is going to be amazing. I know I'm scared. My high school reunions in December and that's scary, but it's exciting because that's where I'm going to recruit my crew to film my web series. And I'm really excited for that because I feel like what I've learned in Portland will serve me well in Miami. I feel like the communication skills and like just, I guess, the language that I've learned here will allow me to navigate Miami in a smarter, more delicate way that is going to lead to a lot of success.
0: Do your high school classmates know that you were on this reality show? Just
1: just Um, curious. That could be some something
0: you could talk about. Like,
1: by the way, <laughs> <laughs> some of them do. I have a lot of like sneaker design friends. Yeah. So the ones that that I've never lost contact with, no. But it's not. You know, I didn't win, so I wasn't really like putting it out there as much because I'm so competitive. Mm-hmm. But I'm in. Uh, now I can like appreciate all that I gained from the experience without like worrying about that you know
0: yeah but i mean even the people that don't win reality shows i feel like they win more in the long run Mm
1: -hmm. like in the
0: in the grand scheme of things uh right just in terms of opportunities people remember their run on the show etc i wouldn't look at not winning as being a bad thing you know (laughs)
1: right yeah i've definitely like made made peace with it now but i think mostly when i see them i'm going to i'm going to be talking about the film stuff i want to show off my the super eight film that i did and like the video edits i've been doing and the the live in portland show is something that i have a lot of pride in mm-hmm. because i felt out of place in portland for so long and then i met all these amazing people and then i met chris and joined the show and was able to extend the platform to all these people to talk about the work that they're doing and it just feels it feels really valuable and I and also just the freedom to to be creative in a way that like corporate brands don't really allow for Mm -hmm. and just more community oriented that's the type of stuff that fuels me and and that I want to (laughs) focus on.
0: And listen, I can tell you in this society, I mean, especially with corporate design, they're trying to emulate the feeling that you have right now, that feeling of being able to connect with uh, people, with community in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to do because there's that divide. Like you say, like you have a lot of freedom with what you're doing right now to be mm-hmm. able to make that happen. Whereas if you were like a corporate in-house designer, you'd be, you know, you'd kind of have your hands tied with stuff that you could work on because of working hours or conflicts with the company or, you know, any kind of stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And I feel like exactly what you said, like they want to emulate it, but they don't really want to do it. Yeah. You know, like I've, I've had art direction and design gigs in town and like, I'm very forthcoming about all this stuff in my interviews. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, when I pitch stuff, they're just like, yeah, but how do we sell it? <laughs> and <I'm just> like. <laughs> okay you do but first they have to feel it you know so I'm always like trying to like let's do an art installation or let's you know but they're not I don't know it doesn't seem it seems they're very focused on like social media engagement and Mm -hmm. like clicks and likes and I'm I'm always trying to like do something important in in person yeah and Something I really like about the live in Portland show, like even though we stream it live and it's up for you to watch after, like there's value in the fleeting moments and like the moment of us connecting in this space at this time with each other. And those are the types of things I'm, I'm usually trying to promote on the show. I have a segment where I do a celestial forecast Mm. and I'm obsessed with space right now so it's yeah just like a meteorologist but like i'll like for example there's oh well this won't air well november 12th this weekend there's a a meteor shower radiating from leo but they'll be able to be seen all over the sky it's an average meteor shower producing about 10 to 20 meteors per hour and the best time to look will be after the moon sets after midnight um in a dark sky so stuff like that. Um, and okay. like I in the summer, I do like an almanac where I talk about this is a good time to plant this. This is a good time to weave and like what veggies are fresh and stuff. And so that's my that's my like biweekly forecast that I do for the show.
0: That's kind of dope. It's like a uh, like poor Richard's almanac. But but now
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's really cool because. The reason why that interests me is space is something all of us all in our entire planet can appreciate and connect with and, you know, just trying to find the things that were more the similarities that we can bond over mm-hmm. rather than the differences in the, in the climate that we're in. You know, that's
0: true. That's true. I remember thinking of, uh, I forget who, this is attributed to, I'm sure I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's something about how we're like all made of star stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if like Neil deGrasse Tyson said that or somebody else, I forget, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but like when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, the things that we're having to deal with right now in society, if you zoom like all the way out past earth into space and everything, you know, the things that we deal with on earth can seem, you know, minuscule by comparison.
1: Right. I, yeah okay
0: how much of i guess i know you're doing a lot of stuff in and around portland right now and you've also mm-hmm. mentioned this kind of it feels like this tension with your your creative work that you're doing right now but also like corporate design mm-hmm. how much of that do you feel is just tied to the city like is does portland just have this environment that like i don't know it's just different from what's what meshes with your creative sensibilities
1: i would say probably half and half probably Mm -hmm. half Portland, half me, you know, I moved out here. I had like 21 years old, you know, I had a lot of growing up to do, to learn and be successful in the city. And I feel like I'm in a place now where like, I can witness the corporate stuff, but actually I work at a maker space now, ADX. And so that fulfills me more than enough. You know, I have Th- they have welding, wood shop, jewelry, silk screening. I just made these shirts this week that say go heal yourself. Mm. And I've learned how to weld there. I'm I'm building a metal table, like really the the hands-on stuff. I'm trying to gather as many skills as I can because I see my future in film and production design, like production prop design. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to like really develop and hone those skills so that I can execute no matter where I am.
0: That's interesting. You are the second black designer I have talked to in Portland that has said something along the lines of like a maker space or something like that. Yeah. I spoke just a few weeks ago. I talked with uh, Jason Murphy. I don't know if that name sounds familiar.
1: It sounds familiar, but I definitely met him, but I don't know him like that. But yeah, I feel like Portland black arts communities is we know each other. <laughs>
0: yeah, he used to be a design director for one well, he was one of the design directors for the Nike global brand. So
1: mm-hmm. he did a lot
0: of stuff around the the Nike equality campaign like what you see with Serena and with Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and stuff. And when I talked to him, he was talking about how he's been getting into a lot of like maker stuff like he's converted his garage into like a little maker studio. And so he awesome. does these laser cuts on nice. like leather and wood and stuff. Oh my god! I'm forget what's the name of it. I, I know I wrote it down. I'm looking at my notes right now. It's called. I'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. I thought I wrote it down. Oh, it's called Olufemi Goods. O l u f e m i. Oh. And I actually mentioned the show to him, so I, I'm sure he's probably seen or heard of you as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. So for 2019, what do you want to accomplish? You mentioned this uh, this web series. What else? is on the horizon for you.
1: Yeah, I want to shoot sun showers. I want to work on you know the project of a a black director or costume designer so just to learn from them and soak them up. I follow Ama Asante on Twitter and she sometimes does film fellowships so mm-hmm. I'm looking out for her next one of those. So my best friend is moving back from China in January and I want to go with her and travel around to different neighborhoods in Miami and teach art to kids. We've been talking about that. Like we've so we've been friends since 6th grade, so we've we've been artists our whole lives, always in art programs. And Miami is so the neighborhoods are so segregated. So we just, I know that I want to hop around to different parks so that we can access a wide breadth of kids and, you know, even do bilingual art lessons. That's a big goal of mine because I i really like kids and I don't have access to any kids in Portland. <laughs> so um, I feel like that'll be really nourishing. And so I think between that, the maker spacing, and the film, I'll be pretty busy. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to do? I want to build an orrery. A what? An orrery. That's my that's my dream project right now. An okay, orrery. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah what's, a, what's an orrery? <laughs> it's a model of the solar system. Okay. Like a mechanical model of the solar system that. You can like wind it and it'll show the movements of the planets like proportionally. So I've, yeah, I, I want to build like a, I've been watching YouTube videos. I found some plans for like a rudimentary one to start, but I just, I want to build a really elaborate Ori that has like the Earth's actual axis and like Uranus rotating vertically and Saturn's moons and rings and like, all these like whizzing mechanical parts. That's my dream project right now.
0: Interesting. I think I've seen something like that before, like in a, in a science class or something where it has all the <laughs> planets on these little like pins or something mm-hmm. and you wind it. And then they all kind of rotate in different speeds based on their planet orbit or something like that. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want I got you. like a clock of the solar system just because um, with my masterpiece with Annalise, which is what I call the um, the celestial forecast, I've just been learning so much about just about like space and how the planets move and like you know I like you know Mars is easy to find, but like just watching the other planets and like there's a couple apps I use to try and like track the sky or like see what it's gonna look like from different parts of the world, and I'm really interested in that and like. It's so hard to explain, but that's why every week I try to explain a little bit more because I just think it's really valuable. And like a lot of people, like people love astrology, but like, can you find Leo in the sky? Like, I feel like those Mm -hmm. things are really valuable to me. Like I try to do, it's like astronomy, but I kind of make it sound a little little bit ethereal because astrology is more like trendy, but I'm only talking about like movements and paths and meteor showers and stuff. I got you.
0: I got you. Who are some <laughs> of your influences? Who are some of the people that have inspired you on this journey as a creative person?
1: Ray Bradbury, Ray Bradbury who wrote the Martian Chronicles is my favorite book. There will come soft rains is uh one of one of the vignettes in that. And that's had an impact on me. Like the, just, uh, the idea, it's like a, a dystopia, but like, I don't know, the way that he talked about colonizing Mars, you know, as an adult reading it is just really interesting. Like the way that he mirrors Roanoke Colony, like the, the way that people on Earth have no idea what happened to the first expeditions on Mars and stuff like that really just mess with my mind as far as uh, storytelling. And mm-hmm. so I, t- I tend to come back to that. Jordan Dinwiddie. Who is a writer at, at Wyden and Kennedy and she's written like basically all the dope stuff Nike's been saying in the past few years. She's <laughs> a close friend of mine and a huge inspiration, just like a brilliant, brilliant woman. I would say Donald Glover, Donald Glover, because you just know that so many people told him, You have to pick one thing. You can't do comedy and music and acting. And and he was just like, All right, bet. And that drives me a lot because I can see how focus will streamline your journey. But I know that for what I'm trying to do, which is ultimately direct, I like the path that I'm taking is how I'm going to get there by understanding all the pieces of it.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. where do you see yourself in the next five years? If you, kind of forecast out what kind of things do you want to be working on
1: five years i see myself running a production company i see myself having you know completed a few seasons of of my future podcast of our history i see a few features under my belt i see a collaboration with my niece that she directs She's in high school right now, young writer and I I really want to empower her words. She's already won like a few literary competitions. And yeah, just me, me and my family. My mom is a part of the Trinidad and Tobago Independence Day Ball Committee. Mm-hmm. I would like to do more more film stuff with her. I know growing up she wanted to be a journalist, so like I would like to go to Trinidad with her and like do some investigative like film and interviewing. A lot more stuff. A lot more cross diaspora stuff. I don't see myself in Portland. I see myself somewhere warm, fueled by my family. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was gonna say I didn't want to be presumptuous, but I, I, I <laughs> certainly got that feeling even from when we first started talking. I was like, I don't know if, if she'll be in Portland that much longer. because it sounds like the things that you're doing are definitely going to take you places.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: Portland's a good. It's a good stopping off point right now. You mm-hmm. got what you needed from Portland, and. Right. Now it's time to time to move on. Whatever that, right. <laughs> whatever that might look like. <laughs> well, Annalise, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online?
1: Um, you can find me at Cleopatra on Instagram, C-L-E-E-E-O-Patra. You can see the work from Live in Portland on at lost the letter N Portland. And that's where I'm at. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well,
0: Annalise Cleopatra, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I feel like even though my introduction to you and your work was from this reality show, this this kind of you know cooked up experiment that was put <laughs> together, um, I certainly got the sense from talking to you that your talent and your drive and your passion is much bigger than that. And so I'm mm-hmm. glad that we were able to really talk about all the other things that you're working on. And I I see, I definitely can see you doing all the things that you've mentioned in the next five years. I feel like Portland's a good place right now, but you've gotten what you've needed from there. And it's time to, to go on to whatever the next, uh, wherever the next journey takes you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here amongst all your amazing guests. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much thoughts of love in your mind. and that's it for this week
0: big thanks to annalise cleopatra and thanks to you for listening you can find out more about annalise and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com also thanks as always to our sponsors facebook design google design and mailchimp did you know that people spend over 3 billion minutes daily on facebook With an audience of over 2 billion users, that's pretty impressive. People use Facebook to share and connect with the people they care about, and their experience is the core of the Facebook design team. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Google design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and fosters creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well, including us. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage, Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two to do. It helps more people learn about the show here in the U.S. and internationally. It also helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings there for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.